action. Welcome to Torn Stubs with me, photographer Robert Gershenson and Joshua Winning, the greatest film critic you've never heard of. And we're going to the movies, sort of, because we're recording this on the day that news has broken that Cineworld is to close again because of the pandemic. But that's not going to stop us from celebrating our third anniversary by taking the trip down memory lane and re-watching all five Omen films. Joshua, we're going to start with The Omen from 1976. Have you seen it before? I have. I've seen all of them before, but not for a very long time. So I have... I had a relatively strong memory of the first film um, and then very little memory of the sequels. So I was excited to go back and watch them again and uh, see if they held up because, yeah, they're quite an unusual set of films because they're, you know, they're, they're like religious horror. So that that kind of fad of the 70s, um, like a really brief religious horror fad, it's basically comprised of Rosemary's Baby in 1986, The Exorcist in 1973, and then The Omen and its sequels. Um, Rosemary's Baby in 1986? Oh, sorry, 1968. I've got some kind yeah. of numerical <laughs> dyslexia, apparently. I didn't even realise. Can you imagine if Rosemary's Baby came out in 1986? That'd be yeah, it would. no one would watch it because that's <laughs> after Roman Polanski raped a child. Oh, well, there's that as well, definitely. Yeah, 1968. So yeah, it's it was it's interesting to go back to them. What what did you had you seen them before? Oh, I'd seen the first because mm-hmm. it is it is a, a classic. Um I had seen Damien 2. I don't think I'd seen the third one, but obviously I knew Sam Neill was in it, but I have mm. no memory of watching it and everything felt reasonably fresh to a degree <laughs> this time around. To round. your eyes. And I had seen the fourth and obviously I had seen the remake. So maybe, maybe this was the first time I was seeing Omen 3, The Final Conflict. Or sometimes it was just okay. known as Final Conflict. Just The Final Conflict. But that first film, that first film is, I think, a brilliant piece of filmmaking from director Richard Donner, who would go on to make um, Superman, the movie. He would make The Goonies, Lethal Weapon films, 13 Blocks yeah this is like before he became Richard Donner and I think he was Mm. I think everybody involved in the film says that he was basically integral to the success of this film Um, I think I've read an interview where uh, he mentioned that the the omen um, as a script written by David Seltzer had been around for quite a while and when when it was being pitched around town it was it was called the Antichrist and it was about a uh, you know a young politician and his wife and they are, they have a son um, who may or may not be the devil and I think that the studios all turned it down because it was very much a horror film and I think it it, it made them nervous um, it was maybe like a precursor to the the breakout of satanic panic in the 1980s when that was very much a like a a, a big deal in the in america where it was almost like think of the children like you know they're all becoming satanists oh i see what you mean like the video nasties the video nasties yeah thing yeah and donna donna read the script and he (laughs) donna (laughs) 
<laughs> Hi, I'm Richard Donna. Donna. I hang out down the mall. <laughs> well, they all call him Dick Donna, don't they? Dick Donna, yeah. Uh, Which sounds like a command. <laughs> <laughs> Don the Dick. Um, but he wanted to turn it into more of a mystery suspense thriller, is how he describes it. But that's the thing. It opens. If it doesn't... If it, I mean, it, it opens with the music. Mm. Nah, 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 right? Yeah. But despite that, it begins playing out just like any sort of family drama of the time. Even it even has like a photographic slideshow that is quite sick. Yeah. And I mean sick in the like ugh, Spielberg sentimental style of sick, like sickening, not the RuPaul sickening. <laughs> it's quite sentimental. Well, like as a shorthand to show Damien's childhood. Yeah, like a nice, like always had a lovely, privileged, yeah, well-to-do, you know, very rich. His father is the um, Robert Thorne, the ambassador to Britain from America. Mm. He hasn't wanted for anything. Look at that birthday party. He has yeah. a fucking pony and a and a a, a, a Ferris wheel and a circus and a what you call it? You know, it's and a, a, a merry-go-round. A what? And a nanny. At, well, yeah, and a nanny. Um, <laughs> who sort of drops out of sight. Don't know where she went. Yeah. But it starts off like a just a, a really sweet family drama. It doesn't start off as a horror film, really. Yes, it's got priests, yeah. but that doesn't necessarily denote this is going to be a horror. Yeah, but it's, it's it's like what Stephen King always says about horror is that you you need to care for the characters otherwise it's not a horror you know the, yes. the horror comes from caring for these people and i think that's something that the opening of the omen does really really well is it 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 invites you into this really fucking bleak moment in this couple's life where you meet richard thorne played by gregory peck and he's gregory peck gregory peck and he's told that his wife has just lost her their their baby has died in labor during labor and he's given this sort of moral um, dilemma where basically the priest says, oh, we've got this other kid you can have. Um, you know, he has no family. Do you yeah. want him? And Gregory Peck has sort of, you see him struggle. And then he says, well, yes, okay. Like uh, this baby can replace the one that we have sadly lost. Mm. And, and thank God he did say yes, because otherwise we wouldn't be sat here chatting. <laughs> Talking about the omen. <laughs> because <laughs> if no he movie. did say no, then the priest yeah. would have been like, back to his overlords oh he um he he said no so what do you want me to do with the what do you want me to do with the antichrist we could bin him and start again well it's not my but fault you... he said no it's like, well, don't ever go at me <laughs> on the phone one-sided call don't ever go no let me let me get the word in edgeways let me speak if you just i, I if you raise your voice one more time, I will have to terminate the call. <laughs> Look, I tried to give him the devil. He didn't want him, okay? What yeah. am I supposed to do? Well, we can have another one out to you in five to seven working days. <laughs> I can only apologise. Um, but in, in any other kind of 70s or any really kind of family drama, this would be the moment where um, it's kind of like, oh, it's all going to be okay. That you know, They get to have their family unit. They get to be yes. a family again. And in it's any all other film, be lovely. this is the end of the film. Exactly. It's like, oh, salvation. And they go off into the sunset and live happily, happily ever after. Yeah. Not this one. 
Because that if, doesn't if, really happen. Because if this, you know, if if that was that film, this is the sequel to that film, mm-hmm. and this does not go well. It doesn't, and it it's very clever the way it starts. It all starts to unravel, and I think that mm. obviously the real turning point is the moment when the nanny throws herself off the roof, and it kind of. Yeah, you you sent well, you're you, you're suddenly made aware of the fact that something is very very wrong. Well, she was um, hypnotized by a dog beforehand. Yeah, yeah, the dog turns up and it's like a creepy moment where she's looking at the dog and, and the, the dog's, dog's looking, looking at her. her and and they make then, Damien, look at me, Damien. And it's horrific. Like, not only does she throw herself off the roof with a noose around her neck, she then smashes through the window. It's just such a like screaming I, moment of horror. I do feel if they had, if they had double glazing, it wouldn't have done so much damage. But <laughs> she'll just like thunk that, against the glass. But it's uh, it's obviously a, a grade two listed building, and you can't go changing certain features, <laughs> so you can't change it from a single glazed window. Well, it didn't exist in the seventies. Double glazing wasn't it like it a nineties invention. No, you had double glazing. No, because all of those, all of the, all the built like our house when I was a kid was all single glazing and we had to have double glazing installed. Yes, but you're poor. You're not the son of the ambassador. <laughs> true. <laughs> when did you have a Very pony true. at your birthday? <laughs> you've had a snallion, but you've never had a pony. That's why this film works because you do care about that family and then suddenly the yes. horror emerges in such a powerfully impactful way. Um, and it's not like the things that Richard Donner took out of the script were things like cloven hoofs and devils and stuff like that like the Mm. scene in the graveyard when um thorn discovers the graves and then there are him and the photographer are attacked by the devil dogs that scene as written in the script was actually they're attacked by these like cloaked like cloven hoofed creatures that's not going to work in this version of the film and that is not what this film is it's very much about the terrifying things that you don't see and that's what I mean I've spoken about that before I spoke mm. about that in our Blair Witch episode I spoke about that in our Exorcist video a video uh, episode <laughs> I don't believe in all of this stuff but what if I'm putting myself into a false sense of security and that's the perfect opportunity mm. for the devil to attack yeah well the film is basically saying what if all these people are just crazy what if um you know, what if Damien's mother, you know, adopted mother, uh, what if she has postnatal depression? What if um, Robert Thorne... Or a form of depression, because it would be a long, long delay before the, the postnatal mm. depression kicks in. Yeah. Five years. Yeah, and like, what if the nanny is just crazy? Um, what if the new nanny is also crazy? You know, it's this idea of, uh, is this real? Is it not? And that that kind of forms the the crux of the story is if well, it's real it's similar oh, to the fuck. exorcist it's similar yeah. to the exorcist because for the first part of the exorcist they just think that Regan has some mental disorder mm. and she's sent to the hospital a psychiatrist is brought in and it's only later on that the mother chris mcneil thinks i better go find an exorcist yeah well and then so the the the, the grounding with the omen is this idea of politics and Yes. Um, I think David Seltzer, when he was when he was writing the script and he didn't like he he was from the world of documentaries. He'd made mm. a documentary about um, 
one of the Kennedys, I think it was John F. Kennedy, um, possibly Robert Kennedy, I can't remember, but he he was approached by a producer who said to him, look, we want to write something like The Exorcist, can you do it? And I think David Seltzer initially said no, because I'm not, the devil doesn't exist, so what am I going to learn from writing this? Yeah. You know, he, he very much saw documentaries as something that was educational on a personal level. So writing a, a horror film about the devil to him held no appeal whatsoever. And, um, and he then realized that actually, if he said no, he'd have to give all the money back to the producer that he'd been given <laughs> previously. So he kind of like, <laughs> yeah. So it was like, okay, I'm going to write your movie. Um, thank God once he did. He, thank the devil he did. Thank, thank the, the devil maker. he did. Thanks so when maker. he started looking into the devil, that's when he um came across stuff in the book of revelations you know the number of the beast 666 and yeah this i this idea of the the sea what's the sea the part of it oh when um, the jews return to zion and a comet rips the yeah. sky and the holy roman empire rises then and as greg as a as a oh, what's his name what's the guy who plays robert thorne gregory peck says mm-hmm. then you and i must die I must from die. the eternal sea he rises creating mm-hmm. armies on either shore turning man against his brother till man exists no more it's not in the book of revelations it was made up no. by david seltzer but yeah the that from the eternal sea he rises is referencing yeah. politics mm-hmm. and he decided that's that was the that was the idea was politics and that's why um that is the thread that runs through the entire franchise is like the idea that mm. the only real power in the world is political power in terms of this world you know um yeah. We're all governed by politics, so that's well. We are scariest. governed by politics, which is of course governed by money. So mm. if the devil was to try and recapture some power, the quickest and easiest way is to capture the power. Mm-hmm. It just happens it's in in politics and money. Mm-hmm. And it works in this film. The that idea very much works, and the cliffhanger is fantastic. Where he is then in the care of the American president. That's such a yes. fantastically bleak idea. Um, especially with current politics and especially American politics anyway. Um, it would have been fine to just leave it there. If that was the end, that would be a great ending. It, I mean, it still is a, a classic ending, but... It's a brilliant ending. Um, he wasn't even meant to smile. Mm. Dick Donner, I've seen interviews with him where he's saying, and I, the, the point that the, the, the shot was, the, the camera pans down, and then Damien turns around and I'm thinking, don't smile, don't you fucking smile. <laughs> and the kid smiles, but it works. Well, it's such, it works it's, because there's a it, smile it, that evolves. Yeah, it's, it I mean, turns into a sweet kiddish smile and then suddenly it dips and it's like, oh, oh God. But then it leaves you with the question of, did Damien know what he was doing all along? This is my big issue with the remaining films in the franchise because it's never it's never really clearly explored if he knows somehow inherently that he is this evil, is the spawn of Satan. I think um, he knows, I mean, he knows by by film three for sure. But yeah. sticking on this one, how do you feel about the use of music throughout the first Omen? Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, it's just, it like from the the second the film starts, you've got that fantastic um title screen which is i think maybe it must be that john carpenter used it as inspiration for halloween because it's the you've got the static image on the right hand side of the screen in the omen it's the image of damien his shadow casting an upside down crucifix in halloween Mm -hmm. you had the pumpkin and it's that kind of that really epic 
um, choral um, sort of orchestration. It just it just really hits you immediately. Just kind of like, oh my god, it's, it's this is going to be an epic story about good versus evil. It's called um, Ave Santi. Uh, yeah, Ave and, uh, Satani by Jerry Goldsmith. By yeah, and he his music is so recognizable you know everything that he's done it sounds a little bit like this it's always got that really rich um feeling to it and i think that it just infuses the film with such a strong sense of dread um and it never even though it could be viewed as campy i think that because the visuals are so um dark and not hysterical it somehow works it creates a really unnerving experience. Those two things together, like the really um, bloody-minded score mixed with that very dark, atmospheric, kind of realistic imagery. He won the Academy Award for the Omen. Mm. Yeah, I know. But there's there's times in, in this film that Dick Donner does away with music. So the death of the priest... Mm. The death of the priest is all soundscape. It's all wind. It's all rattling, um, ca- uh, not cages, gates. Mm. And also with the tricycle scene, it's no music. It's the sound of the wheel on the floor, the squeak of the wheel, the bump and Catherine's cries. Mm-hmm. It's very reminiscent of like an old universal horror picture like Dracula or Frankenstein. And you can mm. absolutely see where Kubrick got his inspiration for only a couple of years later with Danny's tricycle in The Shining. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was trying to figure out when The Shining came out. It was in 1980, wasn't it? So it was 1980. So he was just gearing up to, he probably was just reading the book Mm. at the time and optioning it and getting ready to go shoot. A hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah, it's almost. An identical idea as a kid on a bike. Yeah, exactly. You know, going around hallways. Is this film misogynistic? I think it's just very much of its time. And this this is, again, something that happens across this franchise is it's very much a franchise populated by a lot of old, balding men. And the women <laughs> have no agency. The women don't really get a look in. They're always wives mm. or mothers or victims. And I think that... Um, we'll get on to the remake, but I think that the remake handles the 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 mother, the wife character, who's, who plays her in this one, Lee Ramsey. Yeah. Um, I think that this film is so focused on Robert Thorne that it doesn't really allow her to have a look in and she very much... You know, I I think I wrote in capital letters in my notes that poor fucking woman. You know, she just gets beaten <laughs> down and beaten down and beaten down, and then she dies in this really awful, horrific way. But I, um, I I think it's not just. I mean, for the for the original, I think it's not just the fact that it's men taking the center stage. It's Gregory Peck. Yes, he exactly. was the Leonardo DiCaprio of his day. Or the was Tom such Hanks a movie throw. He's and, like the good guy in America. Yeah. Yes, he was. Yes, the Hollywood hero. You know, he was. Finch. He was that that status. You know, he. Um, you know, we're seeing Catherine having this crisis and this struggle, but we mm. only see it when Robert sees it. It's 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 very disconnected. Every time we mm. check back in with her, it's advanced. So we're not seeing her, and we're not with her during the struggle. We're only with it through Robert's eyes. 
Yeah. And you could kind of read it as an extension of the the fact that it's a story about the Antichrist. You know, Christianity is very much about the Virgin Mother, the Mother of Jesus. And, you know, mm. it's, it's a story that's powered by... Um, female fertility and and female purity and then so i suppose the flip side of that with the omen is that the women are all fucked over um but i think that's well, probably giving religion as credit. a religion as a basis is all based on what the men are doing it's all about the yeah. male loyalty to god yeah and the women have to follow you know yeah. rachel's never never mentioned as her own she's always mentioned in reference to her husband She's and he's like the husband moving, of the wife yeah. of rather we're moving to the uk and she's like oh wonderful how exciting it's <laughs> yeah. like i'll definitely come life. along with you darling <laughs> yeah. i have yeah, no aspirations whatsoever <laughs> <laughs> i just yeah. want my hair to be as big as possible but i think that as sad as it is that the female i mean pff, actually you say that but the, the 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 character of the nanny is so fantastic in this film yeah. That is such a great role. And um, Mrs. Baylock. Mrs. Baylock, what a name. And as soon as she turns up, it's like, ah! like you just know she's evil. <laughs> but there's that there's that brilliant shot where she is literally in between the two of them. She's going to become mm. in between the, the, the two of them. And when um when Catherine and Baylock are having the conversation about whether Damien should go to church. Baylock is up at the top of the stairs. Mm. Catherine is at the bottom of the stairs. And even though that they appear on the same side of the screen, they're actually divided by this very long staircase. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, Baylock and is, like, a, is a brilliant, brilliant character played by Billy Whitelaw. So amazing, and she's so it's such a clever idea to have to cast somebody who doesn't who looks scary, and yet her voice is really soft and nurturing yeah. and it, it creates this real kind of tension in that character from the Im- immediately she doesn't um, play it evil that's the thing she just no. plays it like a stan yeah exactly she's damien's biggest fan she really is how do you feel about the visual style it's just really um it's just like fucking dark <laughs> is it <laughs> yes like all like when i think of the omen all i think of is that dark cemetery that they go to when they find the bodies and um the dark house um (laughs) i think it's quite natural it's not overly flashy he's not whipping the camera around he's no apart from that staircase interaction it's very much plays out almost like a like a tv movie but with a budget Mm. it doesn't feel i mean it doesn't feel cheap in in the slightest i think some of the sound is quite cheap well they had no money but um they've got those great long um zooms that mm. are so 1970s but a lot of it's shot in in natural light or light made to look natural it's not hyper stylized and it kind of adds a sense of sort of documentary realism which mm. maybe came out of the script you know you said seltzer was a documentarian but i think it definitely definitely does not undermine the idea that everything is normal until it isn't yeah yeah it's kind of reminiscent of william freakin's style in the exorcist Mm -hmm. he was a documentary maker yeah very very much so yeah you know as you were saying earlier like the whole thing with the exorcist is that basically the first hour is a really um sort of tight family drama where she goes 
yeah, she goes to hospital. You know, she it's her. It's the slow um, unraveling of Reagan, and mm. then it becomes a horror film, which kind yeah. of the Omen does on a more speeded up time frame. It's a shorter film. It's a, well, it's under a hundred minutes, and the, yeah. the Exorcist is just over two hours. Yeah, yeah. I just think that the, the Omen is one of those films where it's almost perfect because it's sort of distilled it knows exactly what it's doing it's perfectly distilled it's so focused it's so it knows what it's about um it plays with the ambiguity of this this child um i think that right down to the casting like the casting of gregory gregory peck is absolutely genius because if it was anybody else it would just be a film about a man discovering that his child is the devil but with yeah. gregory peck the the whole film then revolves around can america's hero kill a child that becomes the driving force of the film is oh my god is atticus finch going to kill a child well um, it also becomes a it also becomes a film about america if gregory yeah. peck can mm. fall foul of this devious plan than anyone can yeah just look at what was happening in american politics at the time yeah Watergate. They, were, they were deep into well they were deep into the uh the vietnam war watergate yeah. was just around the corner or had just happened mm. so mm. there was a real sense of paranoia of, like um rottenness at the core yeah. of america yeah yeah and this plays into that Gregory Peck is, he is just sheer talent. He's so understated in this film and believable. Mm -hmm. And he's from a, an era when, you know, before the the actor's studio, it, it wasn't all about, you know, he wasn't a method actor. So he was very mm. much about the over-the-top boom-bast of 1950s acting. But he's so controlled here. He has mm. a controlled determination and the the realization through grief after Kathy dies, when he's lying on the uh, the hotel bed and he's remembering the poem, is phenomenal. Yeah, it is just like an on acting the masterclass. Yeah, Kathy's dead. Yeah, it just really hits you. I think well, he, the he, film. No, he, say, he says like, "I remember the poem," and then he says it, and then there's yeah. a beat, and then he goes, "Kathy's dead." It's yeah. not melodramatic. It's not over mm -hmm. the top. There's no screaming. There's no shouting. It's just a case of, I know what I've got to do. And he's so understated. Yeah. And every single time he is dealing with, like he's, he finds himself at a cross, so many crossroads, how hilariously yeah. on point. Um, <laughs> on he, point. Yeah. Every <laughs> single time he finds himself at a crossroads and he says, no, I can't do that. No, this isn't real something happens so he's like no this isn't real oh now, kathy's now dead no i can't possibly kill my child oh now the photographer's been killed in a horrific <laughs> manner okay this actually is real so it very cleverly charts his um his descent into hell essentially like hell is yeah. surely finding yourself in the position where you have to kill your child um so it very cleverly like has him knocking down the gates to hell until he actually gets to a point where would he like do you think he would kill Damien if the police hadn't turned up? I reckon so. Do you think he would have done it? He's already said, I mean he said it before he wants Damien dead. Mm. Then he changed his mind when he threw the knives away and mm -hmm. then he saw the photographer get his head sliced off. 
Mm. props to david warner because david warner is a phenomenal actor and even when he's in something shit like teenage mutant ninja turtles 2 the secret of the Mm. ooze he is brilliant and he was in the league of gentlemen film and he's obviously in uh, the jabberwocky and he's been all these all these films he was in Peaks. he was in twin peaks scream 2 he 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 allows greg peck to have the space to act gregory peck is the lead david Mm -hmm. warner is support but halfway between the support and the co-lead because he kind of takes on the role of the assistant i guess for the second half of the film Mm. but he's brilliant he has a slight not working class flair to him but i Mm. think that's because david warner wasn't working class and i think we'll come on to it but that is the main difference between him and david whatever is a thulis 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 who plays the photographer in the in the next one but the thing that I I was really aware of in this film, and it's something that I hadn't really been aware of before, and the thing that I'm aware of made me realise why Dick Donner went on to have such success in the action-adventure genre. He went and made The Goonies, he made a way, uh, Lethal Weapon, 13 Blocks, Superman. This plays beat for beat like an action film because it has its... It has its set pieces. It has mm. the birthday party scene, then yeah. has Catherine's fall. It has the graveyard in Italy. It has the death of the photographer, the fight with Baylock, and then the race to the church. These are all mm. action movie beats, and the drama happens in between and then is embedded and, um, uh, what's the word, embellished, carried forward in the action. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, a, it's a film that has some really like memorable moments and so when you're watching the remake which we'll get to you're waiting for those signpost moments that are like pure cinema just done so so well and so evocative and memorable that's kind of something that the best films do is they have four or five shit hot moments that Mm. when you look back on that film you can go oh yeah and that bit was amazing oh that thing is pinned around it yeah exactly like those are the key moments and if you can find a way to line them up and and it's weave a story around them then that's when you have something good and i think that's one of the main problems with damien yeoman 2 from 1978 that it was just a film made to capitalize on the huge success of the original Mm. because every element in this sequel is really weak and watered down and clearly put there as a way to try and find a way to get lightning to strike again. Mm-hmm. When you see that, when you see it's called Damien Omen 2, it's like, okay, that makes sense because Damien isn't actually in the first film that much. You feel like you see him yeah. more than you actually do. He's probably got, what, about 10 minutes of total screen time. He's probably there for like a week um, and a half filming. Yeah, exactly. So when when you see that the sequel is called Damien, it's like, aha, okay, brilliant, right. We're going to get to delve into who is Damien as a teenager. But the film, like, spectacularly fails to do that. And it's it's a real problem with both this film and the next one, where there's almost like a fundamental lack of interest in actually exploring Damien as a character and, and discovering what his struggles are and kind of who he actually is. Like, okay, so, all right, if he is the devil, what does that mean for him as a character? But this what film... What does he want? What does he want? How does he get it? In this one, why doesn't he remember? 
why isn't he remember anything but he kind of seems to know some stuff but not really um the problem is in this one there's so many characters it's so convoluted is this yeah. a film about the antichrist or is this a film about corporate politics or is this a film about some sort of military academy bullshit yeah. What is this a film about? Because it, it doesn't seem to be about Damien. And if it is about Damien, why doesn't he remember? Mm-hmm. Why doesn't he have a particularly decent enough arc? You know, it, it should be that he doesn't remember. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm actually okay with him not remembering. Because then yeah. he has these sort of carry moments where mm-hmm. he seems to have some sort of hold over people and doesn't really seem to understand why but he seems to like it and yeah. then he he doesn't even discover that he is the, no. the antichrist he's told by lance henderson lance gives him a book by yeah. fucking bishop gives him a book <laughs> relays information like he's siri he's already playing a, a fucking cyborg yeah. a robot with milk pouring out of his <laughs> face and then he becomes the Antichrist, and he does all his dastardly mm-hmm. deeds. It's a really with no it's conflict, a really weak film. There's no stakes. No, like the scene, the scene in the forest where he Damien confronts his cousin Mark, and they have this standoff, mm. um, and then Damien ends up killing his cousin. Some sort that's, of embolism, I imagine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, that's the film that I wanted to watch. Was I wanted to see that relationship and it seems to set that up right at the beginning of the film where mm. you know the the hilarious Aunt Marion played by Sylvia oh Sidney. my god grandma um, exposition from Mars Attacks oh, she needs to take a fucking chill pill we're just having <laughs> some you, dinner shut the fuck up she um but at least she does get us to understand that <laughs> these two but she basically you know, reads the script to us that yeah exactly. you know you know at the beginning of some um stage plays when you actually read the script it goes this is jack he works in a factory sandra is his wife it gives mm-hmm. it she's basically reading it to the audience going <laughs> he's the uncle and he's the brother of the dead guy from the previous job she's his wife but she's not his real mom yeah, which had no yeah. relevance to the film no nothing whatsoever, whatsoever. but no. actually if it did if, if i mean you could say it did because she was loyal to damien but they never showed that until the end yeah this film actually has three or four really fun ideas that the twist that the twist that she is basically this film's mrs baylock is fantastic but then the second it happens yeah the second it happens the boiler room explodes and the film ends that's it (laughs) and it could have been another family dynamic and they've yeah exactly you know they've they've clearly retconned a little because they've made out the thorns to be this dynasty that Mm. has all this money a bit like the trumps or a bit like the um the 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 Rothschilds or the Kennedys. It's just like from the very beginning. So it's a great idea to have bloody um, like what's his name, Bubba Hotep, like the guy who looks like Peter Jackson, the Exorcist. Oh, um, <laughs> like um, Bingo Gugga Bump. What's his name? Bo- Bugenhagen or whatever his name. Bugenhagen. Is. Yeah, first um, name Carl. I thought his name was <laughs> Bugenhagen. It's not. It's Carl. You're right. My name's Bugenhagen. I loved having name? him. Carl. Carl. I like I like wieners. Um <laughs> It's great to start with a familiar character like him. Yeah. But then he immediately goes, Davy is the Antichrist. Like he basically does like a Sam Loomis in Halloween too, where I saw his eyes. Here's the devil. Um and all subtlety immediately is gone and you just know the rest of the film is gonna be shit. And it is because yeah. it kind of it it seems to like 
forget that the stuff that was so amazing about the first film, aside from the fact that it had Gregory Peck and was a great sort of moral uh, sort of dilemma for the character, but also it had like freaky omen deaths, yes. whereas there are no freaky omen deaths in this. There's no omens. It's everyone, just everyone death. has a heart attack. <laughs> yeah, or, or an embolism. Or... Like this stupid bit where the woman gets rat, like gets completely attacked by a raven, then gets run over by a truck. <laughs> <laughs> a truck that came out of nowhere. I know. And you could slow see down. That. I know. Yeah, on an open on an open plane like that, you would see it twenty minutes before it arrives. And I, I loved the guy in the elevator when oh it was plummet it was plummeting and he's just standing there dawdling. Like you wouldn't be standing up if the lift was plummeting like that. No, and if and if the lift hits the floor like that yeah you would just lie down your back snaps you would you would <laughs> yeah. hit the floor you wouldn't like almost like slip over like you slipped on a banana skin and get up and be like oh i slipped yeah. on a banana skin and the film can't decide if damien is killing people or if something around him is killing people like yeah. so when when there's that gas explosion where those people die in the the um chemist the lab or oh whatever. the the uh the chemical the uh the uh, the chemical plant yeah but wasn't it an explosion yeah. or was it just that he released it's a leak gas? or something yeah. yeah but then damien looks kind of like in like the kind of the turn to camera raise an eyebrow i did that but it's like why did you do that there was no one in his way like the whole point of in the first film of them killing the baby uh, you know getting rid of Catherine because she was pregnant and that could, yeah that yeah. could be that's a threat to damien's ascension through the political ladder there yeah. was no threat to damien's potential inheritance no. in no. in this film aside from his cousin but they yeah. don't explore that relationship no. in, the, in any way that is, is 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 viable but also is the cousin a threat no, the cousin's mm. not a threat because mm-hmm. no one no one ever makes any sort of claim like I'm going to be president one day or I'm going to be the richest thorn. No, mm-hmm. the guy likes him too much. There's no threat. There's just no There's, there's no, no stakes whatsoever. Yeah, I think that it's a problem with the... It's behind the scenes. Like there was a director called Mike Hodges, a British filmmaker, and he got yes. sacked halfway through filming. He was replaced with like the budget version of Ron Howard, this guy called Don Taylor. You know, Ron Howard's a very safe pair of hands. Don oh, Taylor. Ron Howard is, like... is the budget version of Ron Howard. The <laughs> <laughs> but Don Taylor had like a reputation for bringing films in on time, under budget, and yeah. I think that he basically scrapped a load of stuff. So like Lance Henriksen's character was supposed to have been the guy who came back from Vietnam and he was going to sort of coach Damien into becoming coming of a coming of Antichrist. You know, he was meant to be, help him become the Antichrist. Um, yeah. And that got completely scrapped. So that's why it's this massive hodgepodge of stuff. But then there's also corporate perm guy. Yeah, exactly. That weird pedo guy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> why is he a pedo? Because he's got a what perm. Said. Because right. he like has that's a moment with Damien. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there's like all this talk about crops and famine and like company conduct and pesticides and stuff. And it's, where? it sounds like that's trying to link to the the ten plagues or the the seven plagues yeah. or whatever they were, the eight plagues. However, but it many just doesn't bother. But they they don't they don't follow it through. Are we yeah. being asked to sympathise with the devil in this film? I think that would have been a really really interesting thing to do because they. I've been reading around the film and. Carrie had come out in the same year as the first Omen, and that obviously made huge waves 
in the in the horror world and there are certain parallels obviously between Carrie and a teenage version of Damien and so I think that's why scenes like Damien confronting his cousin and killing him in the forest that's why that scene is there because it's a direct reference to Carrie but Carrie was about bullying she wasn't meant to be the the bringer of the apocalypse even though her mother feels that way her mother feels that you know you know her mother was a a religious zealot but she was never meant to be anything other than a bullied girl who takes retribution in the biggest baddest way possible Mm. it's hard to sympathize with damien when we know what has happened in the previous film so it's an odd one that they are expecting us almost to feel sorry for damien there's that Mm. that cheesy moment where he's on the pier looking out to the the evening sky and he's screaming no why mm. may why may well, yeah we know it's you and we have no sympathy because of what you did to david warner i mean he didn't necessarily do that it was the the evil devil forces around him in the first omen it seems like damien is um his kind of devilness is very much sort of latent. It hasn't come out yet. So therefore forces around him are conspiring to protect him and keep him safe and kill yeah. any kind of threat. It's not Damien himself doing it. But then this, the second film kind of has both and it doesn't really, it gets very confused. So yeah, it just doesn't make sense. And But that only I holds think- water if we take Damien's smile at the end of the first film to mean... Mm. you know it's just a cute kid smile that because it's basically looking at the audience saying yep i know what i did i know what was success success i'm going to the white house i mean it's that's it's a very you could read a thousand things into that it could just be like a very fourth wall breaking kind of it's not it doesn't mean damien as a character knows he's done he's done some good he's like he's come good but i mean the so david seltzer he wanted to he was off i think he wanted to write a sequel and he he um he offered a three or four movie outline to the producers and they wanted nothing to do with him because um basically david seltz was was very clever and when he saw this the scene in the first film where david warner's head got chopped off yeah he suddenly thought shit i think this film is actually going to be quite good and so he very cannily went off and wrote a the novelization of the film and it was published Ah. about there's different reports but it was published either two weeks or two months before the film was even released and it became a huge bestseller and was a really big deal and the producers of the movie weren't any part of that book contract and they were really bitter about it um and so david seltzer having signed apparently a quite a shitty contract for the film then made a decent amount of money from the book rights and was very happy about that. What um, is it about Fox in the 70s that they said, we don't give a shit about extra merchandise? Mm. You know, they let that book deal slip. They, yeah. they basically said to George Lucas, toys, yeah. Pff, you fucking loser. I know, they That's just didn't have George the Lucas made his billions on. It's the merchandise. It wasn't the movies. Yeah. But David Seltzer had an idea for the sequel, which would basically begin pretty much straight off the last shot from the first film and yeah. it would have been at the white house um and he said yeah, I never hear he it said now. um 
He said, I would not have spoiled this movie, meaning the second one, by somebody walking in as they did in the beginning of the sequel to tell him that he was the son of the devil because then you make <laughs> it a slasher movie. Yes. Piss him off and you die. Yeah. Um, his concept, I would have loved to have seen that. And actually, having seen the, the remake, I would have loved to have seen a sequel to the remake that actually did fulfill David Seltzer's vision for a sequel. Because we'll then it, it feels a bit house of cards like where well yes the, exactly the evil person is within the circle now the call is coming from inside the house exactly how does that play out it's interesting because in the third film omen three the final conflict directed by graham mm. blake i think or bake 1981 and sam neil is playing damien he is now at the head of the thorn company mm. and i 32 think years old yeah, I kind of think they've they've retconned the timeline. Mm, they did. They're saying he took power of the company in 1971, which means mm-hmm. that the first film took place in the 50s. Yeah, if you watch the in the opening scene when, or in one of the opening scenes when that that really boring another boring old man who's an astrologist, I think he asks his assistant for the the like constellation maps from like yeah, 1958 or something ah. and then he wants them from 1920 so it retcons ridiculously it pushes the timeline back by 20 years that's ridiculous um, do you know who the um do you know who the assistant is in that scene the the, no. the astronomer's assistant oh, the guy with the mustache no. no i don't it's bob from the bill ah oh, bob from the bill Bob from the making bill. his big and break making his uh his film debut and the um the secretary to ruby wax ruby fucking wax yeah sir sir <laughs> hilarious um actually going back to the dates oh sorry carry on it, I, that's one thing i did notice that was quite interesting in the first omen is that whenever they talk about the 6th of june they don't actually say the 6th of <laughs> yeah, June, 1976. They say, yeah, they like say they want to make it timeless, even though it looks like it's made in the 70s and it is the yeah. 70s very clearly. Well, it would be 71 so, that he would he would have been born. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's true. Unless yeah. they were unless they were playing it in as in he was born in 76 and the film is actually set five years in the future. In 81. But yeah, which still doesn't either way. <laughs> either way, Omen Three is retconned. Here's yeah. a question. Uh-huh. Is Damien God? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's my favourite question. Is Damien God? I did think about this because the film... Does, well, I mean, this may be giving it too much credit, but it does kind of open up the question of perspective. So, you know, what's good and what is evil is always... Is anything innately evil? As the, as the film kind of suggests, you know, Damien, is he innately evil or is he just trying has he just got a skewed perspective or whatever um i don't think he is god no i mean all the mythology says no so why why do you think he's god (laughs) well he's born to a mother who gives birth with no father Mm. so for all intents and purposes he is born of the virgin birth he's 12 years old when he becomes aware of who he is and what his destiny is Right, and he, then he's aged thirty-two at the time of his planned ascension. Yeah, and there's a group of priests out to kill him. Mm. In the room they are discussing the plan, there is a picture of the <laughs> Last Supper behind them. 
Uh-huh. So his story completely mirrors Jesus Christ. Yeah, which I think that's interesting. And I think that that possibly may be an idea that was slightly stolen from David Seltzer um, because he his plan for the franchise was that he wanted to make... Um, over the course of his planned films, he was going to introduce a like a Christ-like figure, and it would there would be like a mirroring between the Christ-like figure and Damien, and oh. as they as they grew up together, then they would have this big final confrontation where it was like the devil versus Jesus, basically. Um, so yeah, it's interesting, and I think that maybe that's that's a clever idea that the film doesn't necessarily do justice. Um, because I don't know, I just feel like, especially with this third one, it's got so bogged down in theology and it's got so bogged down in trying to be clever and trying to be grand and epic that actually it just comes across as a bit stupid. Oh, it comes across completely campy. And like, (laughs) that's a good way of putting it. But like the idea of some assassins going after Damien is a really, really good idea. And it's actually quite a clever concept but then they're so unbelievably inept they're like fucking acme characters they trip over things like when that old that old man steps towards us let me be the one and i'm just thinking no no just run back to your car and leave you stay home and just read the tv time that's what you're good for (laughs) they're so shit it's hilarious fucking shit the i mean Um, i think the film is a a, a step too far you've got the three stars aligning you've got the monk mm. assassins you've got the snm jesus in the attic you've got the Mm -hmm. rebirth of christ you've got the rape you've got the floating fucking jesus over probably saint alban's abbey or whatever the fuck it is that they used do you want to know the funniest thing that the 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 one thing that made me laugh the absolute most was um you don't see her say this but you hear her off screen and it's when uh damien is walking down the corridors at the tv station about to go on to the stage to be interviewed by kate on her tv show and you can hear her doing her introduction of who damien is and she says that he is a legend in his time and she compares him to john f kennedy (laughs) (laughs) and it's like i'm sorry are we just watching something completely different to what you think we are no we're watching sam neil and he is so out of his depth in this film he really tries i'm not going to say he's a phenomenal actor because i don't think he is i think he's a very competent good actor what he does he's very good Mm. at play he's not Obviously, I don't think comedy maybe is his thing. I haven't seen the the Wilderness People film that he did. But mm. the films that I know him from are always thrillers or adventure films. I think he's working with a script that has zero nuance and he feels completely out of his depth. There's nothing completely. for him to latch on to. No, the films keep Damien completely at arm's length. They don't have mm. any interest in examining his... Uh, motivations or you know we're told that he's ambitious we don't know why we don't see what his real weaknesses are apart from we're told that these daggers can kill him well the daggers the daggers can kill him right they have to Mm. be placed in him in a a sequence Mm -hmm. this one's for his life this one's for his soul and Mm. yet these priests seem to believe that only one can kill so they've completely retconned Mm. the uh the canon Again, yeah. not just the timeline, but the devices. They've messed up their own mythology. And this way, because this is the one where you become more interested in Damien because he mm. he is his own person with agency. He knows who he is. 
is he truly evil? It just doesn't. It just there's no there's not enough enough depth or development to really figure that out. You know, he's what even is his plan? He wants to like rule the world or something. I don't know. Like he wants to well, be. That's, that's the devil's plan, right? The story is mm. that the 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 devil was a angel who um, questioned God and got a load of other angels to question God and God smited Mm. them and sent them to the lowest pit, which is hell. So then Mm. that devil, that angel, that fallen devil, sorry, that fallen angel wants to take revenge. And that's the whole point of the Antichrist. Mm. It seems to me that, I mean, is Damien a rebel? Would you consider him a rebel? Or would you consider he's radicalised? No, because he's, he's a money man. He's running, he's, money, he's running a bloody, apparently amazingly successful corporation. Um, so no, he's not a rebel because he's completely operating within society's power system. But a um, rebel to God... Right. If you're oh, right. living in, if you're living in, in, if you're living in a situation where the leader has to be, you know, you have to have blind faith. You can't mm. question the leader for fear of being cast out of the group and cast mm. out of of the environment of heaven. Is Damien actually a freedom fighter against the tyranny, the dictatorship of God? Is he? A Luke Skywalker? Is he a Paul Atreides? <laughs> is he a Harry Potter? Is he a Nicholas Hallow? <laughs> Nicholas Hallow, the main character from your trilogy of books, the Sentinel the trilogy, Sentinel. on sale in all good bookshops. <laughs> and also really bad bookshops as well. You'll probably find it there. In fact, There's you're more no likely to find it in the bad, bad bookshop. <laughs> that is very, um, very true. There is he, is he the ultimate against? rebel? Is, I mean, he... I guess he's trying to like. I guess he's trying to give people another option. <laughs> like I don't think he's trying to give to them live. an option. I think mm. he wants that power, but it's never yeah. explored why. Why no. does he want that power? Why is he so against God? It's a. It's a like a motivationless. Yeah. Like want. And he can talk at his assistant as much as he wants. His assistant, who apparently knows and accepts completely that he is the devil. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, weird. it just doesn't make any sense. But I think that the film has some cool ideas. You know, there's Damien is essentially faced with the very same question that his father faced, which was, could he kill a child in order in order to to save his mm. own life? But then he just orders the deaths of all these babies with no um, actual interrogation into that whatsoever so it's like okay well that fun moral quandary for the devil actually isn't even a moral quandary he just decides to do it and then well, the, it's a the moral baby quandary. montage is actually properly horrible <laughs> it's a it's a moral quandary for god that's exactly what yeah. god did he killed mm. every firstborn in egypt because the egyptians wouldn't release the hebrews you know damien's only copying from the original g <laughs> <laughs> and that brings me to another question okay is christ a coward uh within the context of this story yeah well he's not really in it so but he uses old people to do his dirty work oh yeah priests. he only shows himself when he knows damien is dying and is mm. no, of no danger you know at least damien was putting him putting himself out there 
Mm-hmm. He was on that bridge when he pushed the man off the horse, and then the other one. Um, can't remember what he did with the other one. Did he stab him? Mm. You know, oh, he, he on... left. He left two of them in the un- underground bunker that very, you know, just closed on its own. Yeah, that was at the beginning. No, that was. No, I'm thinking that. No, I'm thinking that. Yes, you're right. You're right. I'm getting confused because yeah. because. Booganagan or whatever his name is, mm-hmm. you know, Jabba Bingo, whatever his name is, he was <laughs> Bubba Hotel. He was he was underneath getting sanded on, wasn't he? Yeah, it? yeah. Which looked like some kind of outtake from the mummy or like the Muppets or something. <laughs> or I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. <laughs> <laughs> he just kind of sits there going, Oh <laughs> it's like, right, oh, fine. Oh, oh sand well, in my eyes. Sand. Oh, oh sand gets everywhere. Out. That's never coming like out. Star Wars too. The thing I take away from the date from the from this third one is that they're both as bad as each other but for Mm. whatever reason big floaty jesus wins yeah and that's meant to be the end of it right but 10 years later canadian tv make a tv movie omen (laughs) 4 the awakening 1991 and the franchise discovers women (laughs) yeah they do because it starts with nuns but it's direct what it seems to be directed by half a woman seemingly or rather half directed by a woman and <laughs> George Montessi and Dominique Otheni Girad well she directed Halloween 5 and oh, she quit this is before or after that uh, this is after that but I haven't seen Halloween 5 because Don't last bother. year we uh, was it last year or the year before we did Halloween yeah it was the year before mm. last year we did um, we did the Freddy Elm films Street. Um, yeah. yeah we didn't do all of the Halloweens because couldn't be fucked no but no she directed half of this and then she quit and then the other guy came in and he's he was like a tv director who worked on the oh. friday the 13th tv series and 21 jump street and yeah it just it just feels like a tv movie because it, oh, it absolutely feels like, it feels a like a movie. really weird episode of not landing <laughs> but it was released in uk cinemas how hilarious is that i know it was yeah it was and, and quite frankly I'm watching this film and I'm thinking, aside from the theme tune and the title, what is the connection to The Omen? Um, Well, my assumption was that it's, even though it was made 10 years later, it's not set 10 years later. So she actually is the daughter of, so when Damien sleeps with Kate, the news reporter in the third film, I assume that's her mother. Well, that's that's the Um, big reveal, right? Well, the big reveal is that he's the dad, but no, but the mother isn't mentioned, is she? The mother is never mentioned. No, not important enough. Religion, remember? Yeah, exactly. The child that plays Delilah is brilliant. Mm. She's so good. She needs a good night's sleep. Yeah, she looks very tired. She's very fucking... I mean, being evil is very draining. Exhausting, yeah. Just too much fun. She's brilliant. She's really good. And the, the... the real um, shame, one of the big shames of this film is that even though it brings back the theme music from the first and the third film, all the music everywhere else is terrible, like actually comedy bad. <laughs> like when she's, when Delia, played by Asia um, Vera, Viera, she, yeah, her, she leads this other kid up a ladder to like scare the shit out of him and like that scene would actually be quite creepy because she is genuinely creepy but the music Mm. is like jaunty playground like blinky blonky 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 (laughs) and it maybe they only had limited budget and they thought right we'll just use some copyright free shit 
it's just TV, it's just TV movie shit. And actually, um, if they hadn't had all that stupid music, it would have actually been quite a creepy film. Um, it would have been a, a creepier film had they leaned into the mystery of it. Because you've got this, yeah. this kind of Uncle Buck type yeah. um, private detective who who starts unraveling the the limited mystery or mm. the subtle mystery subtle meaning not very well written we all know already yeah but well no no we well i no we didn't know it we didn't know that the doctor was in on on the whole thing and that the kid is actually damien's daughter we just think that some crazy shit is happening so no. they got they got that she kind was adopted of, so we know yeah, that, but, but we didn't know. I, I wouldn't even. I didn't think, and I didn't. I mean, I've seen this before, and I completely forgot it. Um, mm. it so it felt like I was watching it for the first time again. Same. I didn't guess the twist because they didn't give you any fucking clues. It's so far removed from mm. anywhere where the first film and the second film and the third film is set. It's yeah. almost like it's whole new thing. I just so you assumed- thought it was like a second coming. Well, I just assumed it was like, oh, we're going to restart the franchise, but mm. have it completely separate. Okay. But they should have they should have leaned completely into the mystery. It should have been a, a murder mystery film with the detective. The detective should have been the lead character. Yeah, that's actually one of the, the more fun um, stretches of the film where you hit the film just abandons Delia and her family and goes off with the detective for a while but it also yeah. includes the the moment where the film completely jumps the shark is when he staggers <laughs> into an alleyway and there's a chorus and the chorus are actually oh, in God. the film dressed as like zombie <laughs> priests or something it's yeah. like Pirates of the Caribbean it's so awfully painfully bad really it's just bad. camp as hell really did the camp. mother kill herself at the end is that how you read it did she kill herself or was Delia or the new baby with the, the oh, disgusting yeah. hand? <laughs> Better use my strong hand. That one. Was he controlling it? Yeah, they controlled her. And that actress, like, she... <sighs> no one in this film has heard of subtlety. So all of the stuff that could have been played really quite insidiously, she's kind of going, no, you don't understand. Dad. And like really going really a, for dial it up to fucking, 11. I mean, nowadays when you say it's a movie made for TV, you go, oh, it's mm. a movie made for Netflix. So the standard yeah. is high. Right. But in the 90s, when something was made for TV, there was a real difference between a TV actor and it's, a film actor. There was no yeah. one ever, no one really, unless you were, unless your career was on the on its ass, you did yeah. not jump between the two. No, and like if... If she'd had a good director who who was who actually said to her, "Let's dial it way way back," she would yeah. actually she was actually a good actress. She just was giving a bad performance because she wasn't like being Sam directed. Neil. Exactly. So, I actually didn't hate this one, even though it's obviously a bad film. But at least things happen in this film. It it yes. knows it's a cheesy horror film. It's abandoned all pretensions of being in any way sort of this great religious um, thematic text. It just knows it's cheesy horror. It we it knows that we know she's a devil child. There's no ambiguity whatsoever, which means that, yes, it becomes stupid in camp. And yes, there are like 
gurning psychics and like stupid polaroids using auras and stuff but at least (laughs) things happen at least it's built around that the tv format actually helps it because it builds it it peaks and in a way that is interesting Mm. um it has lots of little mini cliffhangers that come at the end of each act so that means it does propel itself forward by nature of being a tv film but it's still shit (laughs) it's not a good film no it really isn't and it, um, you know, it was it was created as a way to start the franchise again, but it would be fifteen yeah. years before the remake in two thousand and six. Mm. The remake, directed by John Moore, was I remember reading in Empire magazine that the only reason they made it is so they could have the marketing tagline because mm. it was released on the sixth day of the sixth month in two thousand and six. It's a marketing dream. It's like a marketing coup de grace. It's just the, the, it's amazing. But at the same time, it's still just a date. Like, is that really going to draw in the crowds? And I don't think it did, did it? It wasn't like a huge success. Which is a shame because I actually think, you know, it came in that period when, or just, just shy of that period where classic horror films were beginning to get mm. their remakes. Well, because Psycho opened the floodgates in 1998. That that was um, where it was like all oh, bets are off. You can just you can remake anything now, basically. Yes. So. I, yeah. I, I can I can see that. But but there's a whole thread around that time of mm. or trend rather of horror films getting a sort of foreboding gothic feeling mm. remake, and I think this yeah. is actually one of the better ones because it doesn't. Yeah stray it basically doesn't stray from the original it doesn't try and add its own things that go wildly off off script Mm -hmm. it i think it actually certain elements it embellishes Mm -hmm. successfully other elements i would completely remove Mm -hmm. i like the inclusion of contemporary events that Mm. the priests take as evidence that the we are on the eve of the apocalypse i think so yes but also i just love like do priests really have emergency armageddon meetings where they all get together (laughs) in like a really grand holy place and talk about the signs that tell them the antichrist is coming that's just that's all catholicism is (laughs) they do it every sunday (laughs) yeah i did when i did slightly flinch when the they showed the image of 9-11 the twin towers crumbling because i was like oh that was in 2006 that was actually way too soon to be using that as a reference point for a fictional uprising of the devil i just felt like that was a bit too too much but john moore's talked about it john moore said i don't think i'm using these images without sensitivity i don't think i'm exploiting anything so he didn't feel like he did anything wrong well he was being paid Um, to wasn't she wasn't he yeah, I guess so. This feels like you're watching the fifth draft of a script because it irons out lots of things, like lots of logic leaps that that didn't like work in the first, in the original film. So like the nanny just turning up, they couldn't do that now. They had to have, like no parent nowadays is going to just allow a nanny to walk into their house with... Uh, you know a reference in their purse yeah um so it does that and it like trims back excess lines so like when they go to visit the priest and he tells them to go to the cemetery there's this whole spiel in the original film where he's like it's just a ruin now don't go there and they just cut that out completely yeah um so yeah it does it does really successfully actually 
iron out some of the kinks um, that that maybe aren't really necessary in the original script. Like they just they used his script. They used David Seltzer's script from the original film. They didn't write a new that. script. They just got a ghostwriter to like slightly update it and thread it with contemporary references. The elements that I would remove are the demonic dream sequences and the flashes mm. of demonic like jackals in hoods yeah that's a step too far but that's because the tone is completely different they're not going for this family drama they're going Mm. for this this muted foreboding heavy gothic really gothic thing it's so stylized it's very he goes for therapy and the therapy room is insane well it's stylized to a point but it's not the insidious movies it's not what would Mm. become you know, five or six years later. It's not a Blumhouse production. I don't know. I think some of it is really seriously stylized. Like, just there's a there's an added scene where he goes to see a therapist, which is just a completely pointless addition. Um, and when he's sitting there, and there's this light flooding in from the from the window, and it just looks like does it look cheap? Like something from Blumhouse. Yeah, it looks really bizarre. Yeah, so like. Yeah, I think it's incredibly stylized, but not necessarily terribly most of the time. How do you feel about Leave Schreiber? He's really weird casting because he wasn't that well known at the time. He probably still right. isn't that well known. Well, I, what um, the fuck has he done since? Well, because obviously he was in the Scream films. He was in yeah. the bad Wolverine film. Um, oh, he was. He was. Um, he was Saber. Yeah, but that was like four, yeah. uh, three years later. Two thousand and eight. Yeah. Two or three um, years later. So what's he done since and, then? And well, nothing huge. He's just one of those actors who's kind of he's good. Um, he's always good as like a supporting in a supporting role, I think. Mm. But he's never really broken out into becoming like his own name. Like if you said Lee Schreiber to somebody on the street, they probably wouldn't know who you were talking about. Unless you bumped into Lee Schreiber. Well, maybe it's like, hi, I'm Lee. Oh, yeah, I recognise you from that um, that thing. What's it called? Oh, no, it's gone now. Sorry, bye. <laughs> the Wolverine Omen. Is that the one you were in? Yeah, yeah. Woven. I think he's um, he's actually, he brings something different to it because he's he's very much a man's man. Like, he's very masculine. He doesn't have the gravitas of Greg oh, Peck God, because no. he's not Greg Peck. He's from a completely no. different era. I actually think he's softer than mm. Greg Peck. He's mm. more of a modern version of a metropolitan man without being, you know, dressing ambiguously. He's a mm. modern man of the time, which makes him ever so slightly bland. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I'd forgotten he was even in this, and I've, I have watched this before. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, he's obviously not bad in it. He's actually really good. Like, when he gets the phone call to, to find out that his wife is dead, that's a really great yes, shot. Yes, that is. Um, that's, that's acting with a capital A. Um, <laughs> and he's acting yeah, against Julia Stiles. Is she dead? The character? No, I've just, she's done nothing as well. Where the fuck has she gone? No, well, she did that, um, that TV series called Riviera, which I didn't see. But I think she went in like I think she went like heavily academic for a while. She stopped acting. Um, and what, I think she went to GCSE sort of stage and did a GCSEs, caught up in high school, all that kind of stuff. You know, obviously she missed out college, on that. Made some cakes. I actually at first I was a bit unsure about Julia Styles in this role, but then the way that they 
develop the character. Yeah. Um, I think it works really well because I, I love Julia Stiles, but she has a strangeness to her. She's not like a typical Hollywood um, lead. She's mm. She's got a bit of an edge to her. Um, and I like that. And they really play into that in this film because they really amplify this idea that she and Damien have this rotting relationship even before weird shit starts happening. And they, so they really do play up that that sort of maternal depression. And she does an amazing job. And it is kind of a bit like, are you de- are, is he the devil or are you just depressed, Julia? You know, it's they, they really play that really quite well she has an indie edge yeah, to her she that, does that i don't think ever translated well to the big films that she was that she was in because mm-hmm. even at the time i remember thinking this is a really weird casting choice because really weird you know she was known from 10 things i hate about you like mm-hmm. teen teen films and now this was only seven years after that well yeah but now we're expected to believe that she's a fully grown woman who is the the wife of mm, the American ambassador. ambassador to Britain. Yeah, I I actually think she was really good in it, and like I'd like that John Moore, the director, he did say that uh, in the original film, Lee Remick's character, who's the wife, just falls away from the movie. No pun intended. Yeah. And I thought, what a waste. <laughs> and I think that's that's a really good observation because this was thirty years after that film, and you can't yeah. just have a wife character anymore. It's just it's not. You know, it's just not on. <laughs> no, um, and uh, I mean, even even more so now. Mm. Um, the actor that plays Damien. Oh yeah, he is a phenomenal little actor, and I actually really think good. he he's better than the original. Um, he's less sort of overtly evil. He's more playful, I think. But I don't think the original one was playing evil. Mm. I think I think the I mean the original. Damien, Harvey Spencer Stevens. They've all got three names. What's with that? Um, the devil comes in threes. I don't know. <laughs> um, but this new one, Seamus uh, yeah. Davy Fitzpatrick. There's a. Um, That's the nice... most Irish name I have ever heard. <laughs> no, he's actually African. Um, <laughs> I, th- I just think there's, there's nuance there. There's, you know, there's there's the. Which which I think is. is, is a credit to the director and the editor. The director mm. for getting that performance from the kid mm. and then the editor from selecting the right performances for the right moment. Because, yeah. you know, when you're working with kids, it's not like you say, and now this is the bit where the nanny dies. You mm. you, you make it playtime. You know, we've spoken about this before with Spielberg making it playtime on the set of um, E.T. Yeah, And much like... Um, I always think of the baby in um, Little Fockers, you know, he's oh, like, yeah. Ash, oh, and the jokes are played <laughs> off the, the reaction of the kid. Okay. And clearly they are taking the, the, the kid just doing whatever and building the jokes around that. Mm-hmm. Like you have to kind of do the same with, with this sort of thing. You know, when mm-hmm. Baylock arrives um, in the car on the way to the church, where he's like, <laughs> yeah, at the zoo and the church at the end, the, the, the kid is giving a really great performance. Mm. So it's a, it's a great collaboration between the kid, the director and the editor. Mm. Well, the kid wasn't told he was playing the devil. 
he just wasn't told that. You know, he was like three or four years old. So he was well, just why would you doing tell the what... kid that? The parents are probably like, <laughs> you little devil. Kid. Please yeah. tell our kid. The one bum note, I think mm. in, in, well, a couple of bum notes in this film. I don't think Pete Postlethwaite is as good as the original Father Brennan. Oh, really? Because I thought he was fantastic. I, I, I'm not saying he's crap. I'm just mm. saying I don't think he is as good mm. as the original. Well, the original guy is amazing. Like he, oh my God, he's just so haunted and well, that's those the eyes. Thing, right? That's the yeah. thing. He is, he is, I mean, tonally it's, it's completely different, right? He's mm. nowhere near as manic. He's not as deranged. I, yeah. I, he still I, speaks I, in riddles. Like if he just said, look, look, man, your kid is the devil. <laughs> Instead of going off on these bloody, you must accept Jesus and you're alive. Well, they all do that, don't they? <laughs> Even if you just chat just walking the down the street, to sell car insurance, uh, they go off on one like that. But I, yeah. I, I mean, Pete Postlethwaite is a perfectly fine performance. But when you are being compared, or when you are in a remake playing the same role as someone else, the the original mm. guy did it better. Doctor Who did it better. <laughs> um, the fact that the film wasn't shot in London is so obvious. You know, like yeah, they say, cause... oh, meet me at Bethnal Green Park and they go and stand under a bridge in, Czech, in the Czech Republic. It's just yeah, not... And they've got a sign that said like Orange Yard or something. Yeah. Like, oh, that looks really With a red good. Maybe I'll box. go shoot there and I couldn't find it. No, well, you wouldn't be able to. And also like no. if they, when they stand on their balcony in their house, you can see the London Eye, but there's no way there'd be a, an acre of land like that right next to the London Eye. Yeah. And when they're so... by the, um, the American embassy, you mm. can see big ben like up the road i'm thinking no it's not there battersea is no. way further up the river yeah it's just they just make it up which that was one of the great things about watching um the originals was that i think the, the sequel has a few shots in like 80s london and then the original obviously was shot in london so you get yeah. to see 70s streets and i always love that i love films like um like victim where you see london in the 60s and like frenzy i think you see covent garden in frenzy yeah um, i just love it because it's like oh i lived there and now i can see how it looked like on the big screen i love piccadilly circus back in the day when the signs were physical lights not a screen yeah it looks and so how much filthy because there was a big cleanup wasn't there and where all the built all the old buildings all the smog got cleaned up yeah so it's, it's great seeing how disgusting london was <laughs> <laughs> well it's probably it's not that more clean well, now to be honest although coronavirus um, one step too far i thought was the the old priest who's dying because he got burnt when he pulls his oh god back, hilarious like, yeah voldemort's a bit of a fucking step too far love <laughs> and nobody reacts like i would be absolutely Gah! i'd be like oh put it back on yeah oh go, your go. eye your milky eye just like oh i well, got burnt in the fire oh I, I i didn't notice you look really good you're passing you're passing I that's about what, it, mate. Um, your skin's meant to be like white like goat's milk it's fine <laughs> and also isn't your head a bit cold <laughs> yeah yeah it's like they're outside in the snow next to a fire and you just think go inside and put the heating on uh, i think the film heightens everything so the priest isn't just impaled by a weather vane or whatever it is he's impaled by the glass from a shattered stained glass window why was that window Kate, there i know i don't know because it wasn't it wasn't flush to the Part side of, of the anything. building. It was like... Yeah, hanging there to... like some kind of magnifying glass. And then like, so Kate 
when she's on the the trellis uh, before she gets knocked off the balcony, she's now yeah. two floors up rather than one floor up. I'm okay um, with that because the I shot think, where she's great. falling was, yeah. is terrifying, and they they did it, you know, for real. They well, they did it uh, the same way they did the the original. Stick up Julia Styles. Yeah, they they strap the actress to an arm that's also connected mm-hmm. to the camera, so those two are locked, and they move her towards a wall. Mm-hmm. Love yeah. in camera stuff. I love it. I love yeah. in camera stuff. And Julia Styles did the actual impact shot because they had padded the underside of that surface so that it actually she could land on it without injuring herself. Yeah, and the original did that as well. Julia Her Styles. Death, yeah, I actually think Kate's death in the remake is so much more vicious than the original. Yeah, because it's you're so in that bed and you can't move your arms you know you're gonna die and if you mm, could just get the horrible. attention of the, of the policeman because you don't know he's being hypnotized by the child mm. what a horrible way to die knowing that that air oh. bubble is going to cause an embolism what is it about yeah, the devil and, he loves an embolism and mia farrow is such a casting coup for this film because it brings it full circle she is the mother of the devil from rosemary's baby and now she's here shepherding the, the you know the new devil oh my god i didn't future. even put that together <laughs> yeah rosemary's baby she is the mother, mother of the devil such great casting of course she's rosemary and now she's protecting another baby she was a mental baylock yeah and she's only in this film because she was doing a play with julia styles and julia styles said to the director john moore I'm working with Mia Farrow. I think she'd be great for this role. And he was like, no, no, I can't possibly ask her. She'll just say no. And uh, eventually he was like, I'll I'll ask her. And she said yes. It was like her first film in 10 years. I do know that the first two weeks of production, they had to reshoot everything from the first two weeks because they originally cast Mia Farrow as Damien. (laughs) I was like, I didn't read that anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) And it was weird. And they give her the original, the the Baylock was originally meant to be run over in the original script. And uh, mm. that that was shot, but never actually kept in the original film, the 1976 film, it's because Richard Donner felt one. it was too, he felt it was too exploitative. But obviously John Moore is all about exploitation <laughs> with this film. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, she gets fucking run over. It's, it's great. It f- you know, she flips, she's holding that mm. big mallet, she flips. And yeah. lands and, and that was the first she thing she shot on the film. The first day of shooting really? was her in the rain with a mallet outside the car, going absolutely apeshit. He yeah. would go on to make a good day to die hard. So he is he not did. a good filmmaker. Oh, I interviewed him for that film, and he was really lovely. And he, I think, he's one of those guys who probably does does know what he's doing because, like, The Omen is a good mm-hmm. film. Um, I would say the but, This Omen is 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 probably one of the better Omen films. It was such a relief after watching the utter, utter sort of incompetence of all the sequels. Just that's what they boil down to is complete incompetence. Yes. Um, and to come into also, this one. But also I think this one proves that once this one ends, that's it. The story's done. You don't mm. need anything more. I mean, I would still really like to have seen a sequel where he's in the White House, but I can live without it. Let's run down our top five antichrists joshua what's your number five or who's your number five number five is asia viera what um the omen four. Oh, the little girl <laughs> so viera? that's your number five okay that's my number, my five. number five is damien 
from Omen 2. <laughs> See, I feel bad for him. Look, taking mitigating circumstances into into questioning here is not the game I'm playing. <laughs> he is he is a a a, a weakly written character and poorly acted i thought so he's my number four and i felt like he wasn't the worst i just felt like he wasn't supported by the material and actually when he was required to do something he was good so that's why he's in my number four so he's your number four my number Mm. four is damien from omen three He's my number three. Weird. <laughs> um, my number three is Damien from the original <laughs> Omen in 1976. Oh, interesting. That's your number three. That's my number three because I don't think the the actor is... He's not an actor. It's just a kid that looked kind of cutish. Spooky. Yeah, no, not even spooky. spooky. <laughs> not even spooky because when were they using like kids like that before this film this is like the mm. the original let's get a kid to be spooky before and mm. you know in the shining danny's not even spooky it's the other fucking twins that are the spooky ones and he is in um he's the, in the original he's in the he's remake in the isn't he as, as, a, a, as a reporter. reporter so who's your number two my number two is seamus david fitzpatrick from the 2006 film oh really mm. mine is delilah from omen four delia Delia, not Delilah. Delia. Oh, and that's another that's another hilarious thing from the Omen 4 is when the mother says, um, she's called Delia. It means always invisible. Like that has any re- relevance to anything whatsoever. She's it not invisible because A, I can see her and B, she comes up in pictures as well. <laughs> well, it's an obvious bad reference to that fetus paparatious thing where there's got like the vanishing twin, but that just doesn't make any sense anyway. So moving on. In reference to what? That stupid twist where it's like she had the other baby twin inside her and oh, then she yeah, implanted it into you. Is that even a real thing? Can you carry it your own a... twin fetus for however? It's a many real years? thing, but there's no way she could implant it into a into another person to make it grow without them as a baby. knowing. Yeah, stupid. Who's your first one? My number one is Harvey Spencer Stevens from The Omen, nineteen seventy six. So the OG, it's a classic in it. The OG demon. The OG Damien. My one is Damien from the <laughs> remake in 2006. I just think it's, oh. a, I think it's a better performance and it's a well-rounded character uh-huh. in his own right. And he's got a nice duffel coat on. I think duffel coats probably earn you a few more points, don't they? Yeah, it's got that Jonathan Creek shit going on. It does. I, I, that's the main thing I really remember from watching the remake originally was like, they put him in a duffel coat. I wear a duffel coat. <laughs> <laughs> that means you're the demon. You're the devil. I am the devil's spawn. And that was the Omen franchise. Oh, so it was. Did you enjoy watching all five of these? You know what I did? And I love doing these Halloween episodes. It's our annual birthday episode. And this year, it felt like it didn't take us long to get through the films because there was only five. But And and they're all short and sharp. None of them go past an hour and 40. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Acast so you don't miss an episode. 
And we are on Twitter at Torn Stubbs Pod. Have you watched all the Omen films? Did you love them as much as we did? Did you hate them as much as we did? Let us know. We are off to make sure the Jews return to Zion and make sure that the comet rips the sky and make sure that the Holy Roman Empire rises and we need to make sure that you and I must die. <laughs> oh, no. Until next time, I remain Robert Gershenson. I'm Joshua Winning. Cut. <laughs>